Today's reading is Acts 1 and it can be found on page 1689 in the Church Bibles and it will also be on the screen. In my former book, Theopolis, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these you two have chosen to take over in this apostolic ministry, which Jesus Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles. 
Well, thank you so much. It's wonderful to see you today. And uh, let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, please help us to pay attention, help us to listen to your word, help me to be really clear. And we pray that your spirit would speak through the words of the apostles and change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. This week I cleared out our medicine cupboard and uh, found a range of tonics and things for almost any human ailment. Here we go. Anyone have chicken pox or shingles or ulcerative wounds? There you go. I've got something for you. Um, Voltaren, back pain. Anyone? Paul? Um, we, we have a throat gargle for anyone with a sore throat and, of course, a very old box of worming tablets. Speak to me later. I'll be discreet. Okay. <laughs> there you go. And other things as well. One tonic I didn't find was a tonic for a deflated soul. Last century, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, very famous British preacher, he spent 14 years without a break preaching through the book of Romans. 14 years, right? Verse by verse. He must have loved Romans. Yet of the book of Acts, he says, and I quote, live in that book, I exhort you, it is a tonic, it is the greatest tonic I know in the realm of the spirit. So for all the wonderful things you can discover in the book of Romans, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who knew that book like few others do, said that the book of Acts was the God's great spiritual tonic for a deflated soul. So let me ask, how's your soul? How's your soul at this point in time, at the beginning of the year? How's our collective soul as a church? Are we expecting God to work through us this year, or are we not? There is no greater tonic for the soul of a deflated church than the book of Acts and there's no better way to start the year together than to soak ourselves in this book. This is Luke's second volume. His first, of course, is the Gospel of Luke. We are meant to read them together, as Luke reminds us in verse 1. He says, he mentions his former book, the Gospel of Luke, which covered all that Jesus began and do and teach, uh, to do and teach up until the day he was taken up to heaven. The book of Acts covers what happens next. The purpose of Luke writing both volumes is set out in his introduction to his gospel, chapter 1, verse 4 of the gospel, so that we would know the certainty of the things we've been taught. In other words, the gospel's been shared, people have been taught, but now Luke, being an historian, he's gone back, he's, in, he's done the hard work, he's checked the sources, he's interviewed the eyewitnesses who are still alive, he's set it out all clearly so that we can have certainty about the things that have been taught. Now, it seems to me that we need certainty, don't we? Because we have lots of questions. Firstly, about Jesus. Uh, we've heard Jesus died rose again, ascended into heaven. Uh, we've not seen him. And if that is true, he's been there a very long time. <laughs> What's he doing? What's he doing up there? What's he doing down here? He does seem absent. We want to know certainty about Jesus, but also certainty about 
God's plans for Israel and the nations because so much was happening when Jesus was around. What are God's plans now, all this time later? What are his plans for Israel? Um, You know, we had a a new Israeli-Palestinian peace plan rolled out, another one. Okay, is that part of God's plans for Israel? God's plans for Israel were very big in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, We remember back, remember how an angel told Mary that Jesus, her son, would sit on the throne of Jacob, Israel. We think of uh, Simeon and Anna at the temple at the time of Jesus' birth. They were looking forward to the consolation of Israel, to the redemption of Jerusalem. We think at the end of the gospel how there were two um, disciples who were walking on on the way to Emmaus and they were talking together how they had hoped that Jesus was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Right? So God's plans, God's hopes for Israel are a big theme. Well, now that Jesus has died, risen ascended to heaven. What are those plans? Is God doing anything about them or not? And then what about his plans for the nations? At the end of Luke's gospel, Jesus told his disciples of God's plans in the scriptures that repentance and forgiveness of sins must be preached to the nations. Well, that's a really ambitious plan. How's he going to do it? Because there were so few of them at the time, right? Now, we're 2,000 years later, but even now, There's 17,000 people groups in the world. 7,000 of them are still unreached. That comprises a whopping 42% of the world's population. And that says nothing of the thousands of people here in Adelaide Hills who may have heard of Jesus, but they don't know him. They don't know him. How are the nations to be reached? So we need certainty. And then there's uncertainty, of course, about the apostles. Here's a puzzle. Luke begins the book of Acts with chapter 1, which we've just read. More than half of that chapter is devoted to the election of a 12th apostle to replace Judas. Why so much attention and so much space given to that? What is so important that Judas had to be replaced at all? Why not just plough on with the 11? Because after all, you're about to get Paul, who'll be an apostle. Couldn't he make up the 12th? Well, apparently not. Why? And if there were two good candidates, Matthias and Barsabbas, why not just expand out to 13 and get more done? Why do you need 12? What's so big about that? We need certainty about the apostles. And then, of course, in all of this, you know, having heard all that, we need certainty about ourselves. Where do we fit within the book of Acts? Uh, What would God have us do with this? That is, is the book of Acts simply of historical interest to us? You know, encouraging, but really it's, re- it's delegated to the realm of history, describing a unique moment in the history of the church. Or does the book of Acts now set out what's normal, what we should normally expect to happen in the life of the church? Well, of course, there are people who say it's just historical interest, and yet we think, well, actually, we're in the same time period. We're still in the last days. We still have the Spirit. The Spirit still gets poured out. Is it that different? And then those people who want to say, no, 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 it's exactly the same, well, even they have to concede that some things happen in the book of Acts which are unique, like Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, when the disciples are able miraculously, suddenly, to speak foreign languages in a moment. Well, that hasn't really happened since then. So we do need certainty. Where do we 
fit in this book and God's plans that he makes known. Well, thankfully, God is speaking to us through Luke and he is speaking so that we can have certainty. That's the whole point. Okay. Well, the first thing to know is that the book of Acts gives us certainty about Jesus. Uh, This is very important for us. None of us have seen the risen Jesus. Uh, Yet, of course, each week we gather in his name, um, we pray to God through him, we give our money, our resources, our talents, our time in service of Jesus and his kingdom. Other people disparage this. I was talking to someone at morning tea. uh, Their son had a wedding yesterday and in the speech they referred to dad's imaginary friend. People disparage us, don't they? We need certainty about Jesus. Uh, We'd want to be confident that he's alive, wouldn't we? Well, Luke tells us that of the repeated appearances Jesus made to the apostles, and he underlines this, giving many convincing proofs that he was alive. Um, We have their words. We haven't seen him, but they did many times. And we have their testimony. And Luke records it so that we can have certainty that Jesus is alive. More than that, that he's still active. You know, when we uh, think of this book, the second volume, and we hear that it's called Acts, and we think, what's that about? Uh, We hear Acts of the Apostles. Um, That's really a misnomer. It's really Acts of the risen Jesus through the Apostles. Now, why do I say that? Because he's still active. Why do I say that? Because the Apostles are only active because of the Holy Spirit Uh, Jesus' spirit, whom he pours out on the apostles, and he empowers them to do things. So it's like they continue on his ministry, or Jesus continues his ministry through the apostles. The Gospel of Luke's the ministry of the earthly Jesus. The book of Acts is the ministry of the heavenly Jesus. Through the apostles, he's chosen, empowered by his spirit. Okay. Alongside certainty about Jesus, Luke also wants us to have certainty about Israel. In verse 3, we're told that Jesus spoke to the apostles over a period of about 40 days about the kingdom of God. And then he tells them to wait because in a few days they will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then there's a little interchange, a little conversation that we don't understand. They then ask the question, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And we go, what? Um, And he doesn't think it's a ridiculous question. He just says, not yet. And then he corrects them and says, it's not for you to know times or dates. The Father sets by his own authority. And we think, what are we missing in all of that? Well, the Old Testament prophets, of course, and the disciples were familiar with this, looked forward to the day of the Lord, when God would bring in his kingdom, when God would restore his people Israel. And in the last days leading up to the day of the Lord, God's spirit would be poured out on all people. So when Jesus says, don't leave Jerusalem because you're about to receive the Holy Spirit, they go, ding, ding, okay, last days, the last day, the day of the Lord is about to come. God's promises are going to come true for his people. So they then say, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And no doubt in their mind are all the Old Testament prophecies about this, 
Um, Like, for example, Isaiah chapter 2, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills. All nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. And Isaiah says, the law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And the prophets spoke often of Israel being restored by God to world prominence on the day of the Lord. So when the apostles hear Jesus saying, the Holy Spirit's about to be poured out, naturally they say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It's not a dumb question. It's a very sensible question. Okay. Jesus thought it was sensible, though he did think their question about the timing was actually a distraction from their task at hand. It's not for them to know the times or dates set by the Father. No. Their job was to get on with what they were told to do. First of all, wait you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the the earth. Now, according to Luke, they are the very last words that Jesus speaks to his apostles before he he ascends into heaven. His agenda. That's what he wants imprinted upon their minds. Because after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and the cloud hid hid him from their sight. And then as they're looking up intently into the sky as he was going, suddenly two angels in white come and stand beside them and they give them a kick up the backside. Why are you standing here looking up into the sky? Hasn't he given you a job to do? Time to get on with it. Because this same Jesus who who has been taken from you into heaven is going to come back in the way that you've seen him go. What a great encouragement. This gives clarity about Jesus' mission agenda. The apostles, according to the angels, stand between two fixed points in time, and they are the big parameters in time now. The time of Jesus' ascension into heaven and the time of him coming back. Between those two fixed moments, which we are still in, there's an important job to do. The apostles were to be witnesses of Jesus. Now, of course, not everyone can be witnesses of Jesus because to be able to witness or to share something that you are witnesses of, you've first of all needed to witness it (laughs) and see it, of course, Uh, which which explains why Jesus limited his resurrection appearances chiefly to the apostles. I don't know if you've thought about this. You see, if Jesus appeared over 40 days, there was 40 days between when he rose from the dead and when he ascended into heaven. Why didn't he appear before Pilate? Why didn't he appear before Caesar? Why didn't he appear before King Herod? Why didn't he appear before the world leaders and converted some of them? I mean, that would have been quite impactful, don't you think? So why did he limit his resurrection appearances to the apostles? Because they were to be witnesses of him to the ends of the earth. They had known him from the earliest moments in his ministry. They had seen things that the other world leaders hadn't. They'd seen the miracles. They'd seen and heard his teaching. They'd shared in his mission. They'd witnessed his betrayal and crucifixion. And so because they were his chosen agents to continue his ministry and make it an international one, they in particular needed to be convinced beyond any shadow of a doubt 
that Jesus was alive as Lord and had risen from the dead. And that is why the Lord Jesus appeared to them so they could be witnesses to others of him. And notice the scope of their task. Their scope was huge. It was to be witnesses of Jesus to the ends of the earth, that by speaking of what they'd witnessed by preaching repentance and forgiveness in Jesus' name, the nations of the world for whom Jesus died would come to God, just as Isaiah said would happen in the last days. They would come. They would come. The apostles, yes, they got their timing mixed up. They'd wrongly thought the last days would be brief. Jesus expands out the time frame because within that time frame, the apostles had to bear witness to the nations of the earth about Christ. And so Jesus lays out his strategy. You will be my witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and then from there to the ends of the earth. Now there is logic in all of that. Like ripples in a pond moving outwards from the epicenter. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus says this, is the most important verse for understanding the book. It traces the spread of the gospel through Acts as it moves outwards from Jerusalem, chapters 1 to 7, to Judea and Samaria, chapters 8 to 12, and then to the nations, chapters 13 to the end. This is not something new, this is what God had been planning for a long time. Rewind the clock 700 years. Isaiah chapter 49. God speaks of Jesus who was to come. And there he says, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant just to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I've kept. I will make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Did you see the pattern? Restore the tribes of Jacob, bring back those belonging to Israel, and then salvation to the ends of the earth. Restore Israel first, and then salvation to the nations. Jews first, then Gentiles. That's the pattern in Luke and in Acts. First, Jesus' earthly ministry to Israel, and then Jesus' heavenly ministry to Israel and beyond to the Gentiles carried out through the apostles in the book of Acts. So the agenda for mission that Jesus outlines in chapter 1, verse 8, is more than just a geographic agenda moving outwards from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and beyond. It describes the religious movement outwards as the gospel pushes out from its Jewish roots. Remember, Jews and Gentiles had nothing to do with each other. If it's going from Jews to Gentiles, it has to overcome hurdles, and Acts uh, describes this. It pushes out from its Jewish roots through to the half-caste and despised Samaritans, that's one hurdle, and then all the way to your full-blooded pagans, Gentiles. The scope of that plan is huge and it encompasses everyone, including us. Jesus' agenda is for all the world to be witness to about Christ. And when you get that, then it's just so obvious, isn't it, what you should be doing... <laughs> Uh, we've got to be involved in world mission, don't we? Don't we? Uh, it's just a no-brainer that our church should be involved in world mission. It's a no-brainer that people in our church should be encouraged, I'm encouraging you right now, to support individual missionaries and pray for them so that by your prayers and by your support, uh, you are involved in world mission. 
in places where you're not. It's just a no-brainer. That is what God's plan is, and that's what we must get on and do. He wants the nations to hear of all that he did and taught. He wants the nations to hear of his death for them. He wants the nations to hear of his resurrection to lordship, that they may repent, that they may turn to God, that they may have their sins forgiven. But to do that, first things first, the nation of Israel needs to be restored. Now, there's much confusion about this, isn't it? When does that happen? Did it happen in 1948? <laughs> when Israel finally regained land, uh, which they hadn't had for two and a half thousand years? No, in the book of Acts, it happens, begins happen, happening from verse 12 onwards in the mentioning of the apostles. There is a nucleus of a restored Israel around which gathers um, the beginnings of a restored Israel. You've got the nucleus, then others, the 110 others who are there, the other followers, verse 15, gathered around the representatives of the 12 tribes, and that's why they're named specifically in verse 13, except, of course, there's one hitch, Judas. There were 12, but now there's 11. Remember Judas? who betrayed Jesus, who met that grisly end. He was conscience-stricken. He threw away the 30 pieces of silver. He went out and hung himself in a field and the rope snapped and his body fell headlong and his guts spilled open and his intestines all came out. It's rather grisly, isn't it? There's now only 11, not 12, meaning someone, one more, not two, but one, is needed to make up the new restored 12 tribes of Jacob. And it can't just be anyone because the crucial role of the apostles as witnesses to Jesus, and because of that role, the candidates, verse 21, have to be, have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to a time when Jesus was taken up from us. That's why it can't be Paul. Paul was a witness of the risen Jesus, but he wasn't there to, to hear all that the, stu the stuff beforehand. He said, Jesus, uh, sorry, it said one of us must become a witness of the resurrection. Two men, of course, fit the criteria, Joseph called Barsabbas and Matthias. And so they pray, they ask the Lord to show them which of the two he has chosen to take over from Judas and the apostolic ministry that he left behind. Having prayed to the sovereign God, I love this, he, he so rules the details of our world that he is sovereign over even the role of a dice over such a small, seemingly random event like that. He is totally sovereign. Proverbs says this. And so they cast lots. They've got two equal candidates. They pray. They are trusting the sovereign Lord who's over all the details. And the lot falls to Matthias. And now, of course, there are 12. And from this nucleus, Jesus would restore the kingdoms of Israel. And it happens in the book of Acts. The clue is in chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus lays out his logic. Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, which he mentions together, not Judea and then Samaria, no, Judea and Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. Here's what I think is happening. The nucleus of the new Israel begins at Jerusalem with the 12 apostles. Then they take the gospel to Judea and Samaria. Now, why are those places mentioned together? Because together... The territory of Judea and Samaria in the first century encompasses all the territory of the old 12 tribes of Israel. So with the apostles taking 
the word of God out to Judea and Samaria, that is the restoration of Israel, right? There's a bringing together of the lost tribes of Israel under the throneship of Jesus, their Messiah. And from there, once Israel is restored, then they who comprise the Christian church take the gospel out to the Gentiles, to the nations, to the ends of the earth, fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy that Israel, a restored Israel, would take the news to the nations. That's Jesus' agenda for the world until he returns. But it begins in Acts chapter 1 with the restoration of Israel by the risen Jesus around the apostles' testimony, the nucleus of the new 12 tribes in the power of the Spirit. And thus begun, begins a movement which changes the world forever. Well, what certainty does the book of Acts give us about our role here at Trinity Church Adelaide in 2020? Although Jesus outlined his agenda very clearly, the book of Acts closes without Jesus' mission agenda being fulfilled. It ends with Paul not at the ends of the earth, which must have been Adelaide, really. I mean, could they have imagined a place further away? It ends not with Paul at the ends of the earth, but in the centre of the earth at that time, Rome, the centre of the Roman Empire, the centre of the Gentile world. Which means that in terms of Jesus' agenda to reach the ends of the earth, the book of Acts has a deliberate open ending. It doesn't end with everything fulfilled. It ends with things unfulfilled. And the clear implication is the fulfilment must come afterwards. Jesus wants his church, who come after the apostles, to continue on the ministry, using the witness of the apostles in the Bible to call the nations to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins. If you like, we are in the next chapter, Acts 29. The apostles are no longer with us, of course. That's different. That's different. They are not here to do the miracles that they did in the book of Acts. But we have their message. We have their witness. And we have the agenda from Jesus, and that hasn't changed. And we have the empowering help of the Holy Spirit who still empowers his people with the apostolic message to be witnesses. And Jesus also has put us in, pla in a place where the apostles could never have traveled in their own lifetime, even if they knew we existed here. Um, when later on in Acts 17, Paul's speaking to the, uh, in Athens, he talks about the sovereign God who determines the time set for people and the exact places where they should live. Do you believe that's true of you? That God has sovereignly determined exactly when you should live and the exact place where you should live. That is, it's no accident that you live where you live in the Adelaide Hills, in the street where you live, that you work with the people that you work with, that you have the relationship, relational mix that you do, it is the Lord's sovereign determining that you should be there because Jesus died for the people in your orbit. And he, his agenda is that the ends of the earth be reached. 
Through who? How's he going to do it? Through witnesses to the resurrection. We didn't witness the resurrection, no. But we have the apostolic witness. We have the message. And he empowers us by the Holy Spirit. Uh, You may not think that you're a great evangelist. Actually, neither do I. Um, A little secret. Narelle knows this. I am shy. I know this is weird. But when I go on a bushwalk, I don't talk to people. When I go on a plane, I don't talk to people. I have to get out of myself to open my mouth to speak. Narelle thinks I'm being rude on a bushwalk. Why don't you say hello? I think, well, who would want to talk to me? What's, you know? Um, I'm naturally shy. Um, last night I had dinner with Gary and Heather Filmer. Are they, Heather? No. Oh, there you are, hello. Do I have permission to tell your brief story? Thank you, Heather. So Heather just related how, Heather's a librarian at Burnside, right? And she just shared something around the table and I did say last night, do you think I should share it? So uh, God has put Heather as a librarian at Burnside and she was relating how, sometimes she works on Sunday afternoon, she was relating, relating how one time she was driving down thinking, why do I have to work on Sunday? Maybe I shouldn't, you know, it's terrible. That very day when she was thinking it, Of course, a man walked into Burnside Library who had just become a Christian. Heather's the first person uh, he speaks to. Can I have a Bible? He thinks he needs to get a Bible, so he goes to the local library. Um, Speaks to the Christian at the local library. Now, Heather knows there's no Bible there because they get put on the, you know, fire sale um, stalls, uh, you know, 50 cents. Um, But Heather was able to take him to the book Uh, which speaks about Bible characters which she had used in her own time, Bible study, which opens up the Bible for for her. And she was able to point him to that. And, you know, he said, do you think if I rang Kurong, they might send me a Bible? Oh, I'm sure they would do that, says Heather. Right, God's sovereignly putting Heather there to speak to someone who he's just called to himself. Heather wasn't the evangelist, but she was the person who followed up immediately. Then, of course, there's the older man who lives down the road, who's been visiting the library for 13 years, as long as Heather's been there, who smells, and no other librarian wants to talk to him. And he was quite disparaging about Christianity uh, 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 when Heather first was there, and she put him in his place, uh, uh, corrected him uh, in a kind way, and uh, now he comes to her uh, with all his questions. Uh, where's the Bible passage on this? I don't know, but being a librarian, she's great. She can look it up. She finds the place. Yes, that's the verse I wanted to know. Thank you. Very- Heather is the person, the person, that this smelly old man goes to to find out about Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Good on you, Heather. Keep it up. Now, I'm sure there are lots of stories like this. We have teachers in high schools Right? We have nurses, just the right, they're able to say the right thing at the right time. Maybe they feel shackled, maybe they can't, but suddenly, you know, something slips out. Someone will say something, you're allowed to speak. Um, God puts us in places, it's no accident. So here's what happened to me this week, and I'm telling you this not to big note myself, but to big note God, who just drops opportunities out of the air. Okay, so uh, my mother, who's not a believer, um, went on a cruise to New Zealand in January. And on that cruise, she was able to stop and visit her previous hairdresser, a gay man who had cut her hair at a hairdressing salon near the Opera House for about 30 years, right? And he's dying of cancer in New Zealand with his family, and mum and dad were able to see him. That was lovely. 
And mum rings me, my non-Christian mother, who's never asked for prayer for anything, rings me on Wednesday and says, Chris, um, would you be able to pray for Alastair? That's significant. Yes, I will. So later on, I'm praying, uh, Lord, please bring across Alastair's path someone who can explain to him about Jesus and the great hope of Jesus' death and resurrection and that he died for him. And... Um, then I say amen, and then it occurs to me, perhaps I'm that person, actually. That's Wednesday. On Thursday, mum rings me again and says, Chris, I wonder if you could do me a favour. I wonder if you wouldn't mind ringing Alistair and speaking to him. <laughs> I said, funny that, that same thought occurred to me, actually. Um, uh, so I, I get his number, I ring up mum's elderly gay hairdresser in New Zealand who's dying of cancer whom I have never met. Uh, lovely bloke, uh, we exchange pleasantries. Then I say, look, uh, the reason why I'm ringing uh, is because uh, I hear that you're dying and I'm guessing that you're thinking about death but no one's talking to you about it because they don't know what to say. And I wondered if you'd like a conversation. He said, oh yes, that would be wonderful. Thank you so much. Great. I said, do you, do you have respect for the Lord Jesus, uh, for Jesus? He says, yes. Oh, good, okay. Uh, well, my suggestion would be, do you have a Bible? Uh, he said, yes, I've got eight in my room. Eight. I said, it sounds like a pastor's study. Anyway, um, I said, why don't you read John chapter three, John chapter 11, John chapter 14. And when you read those passages, I want you to do one thing. I want you to ask, what is God telling me about who Jesus is for me? And read it slowly. You're not meant to get it straight away. Read it slowly, keep reading. And when you've figured out the answer, stop and I'd like you to pray and say thank you to God that Jesus is that for you. He said, okay, I'll do it. Wonderful. And then I was able to say, the wonderful thing about Jesus is he's, he, he is the saviour, the full saviour we need. And you know, I gave him my Malaysian MH370 illustration. Some of you have heard it before. Imagine everyone in the world's on Malaysian flight MH370, which crashes into southern Indian Ocean. And you know, there's good people and bad people floating and bobbing in the water. Mother Teresa, Adolf Hitler. Um, uh, the religions of the world say this, your hope is to swim to safety. It all depends on you, on what you've done. Of course, it's hopeless. Who can swim to safety of thousands of miles? But here's what God does to us in our desperate need. He sends Jesus in a rescue helicopter who's sticking out his hand saying, grab my hand. And the only difference between those who perish and those who are saved is, whether, is who grabs the hand of the saviour that God sent. And I said, he... He is the saviour, you know this, because of course he lived that perfect life. I said, none of us have lived a perfect life before God. You know this, I know this, we all have a case to answer. He said, yes, I know, I know we have a case to answer. I thought, wow. Uh, and, and yet he died for all of our sins. He died to take away that guilt which is against us after we die, you know, which would condemn us. And he died to take that away. He bore our punishment. And then He's the only one who has ever risen from the dead. So it shows that he's got, he doesn't just, it's not just a lie for him, good news for him, it's good news for anyone who trusts in him. 
And after I'd explained all this, he said, yes, I will. I will read those passages and I'll ring you again. And he said, I'm so happy because now I have hope. Well, I didn't know that was going to happen on Thursday morning, let me say. (laughs) What would happen if we prayed? Could we expect God to work through us this year? I think we could. Not because of us, (laughs) but because of God. Because the agenda is that the news reach the ends of the earth through spirit-empowered witnesses whom God sovereignly places at the right place to open their mouth dependent upon him at the right time. What a privilege it is to be God's people, eh? No greater tonic for a deflated soul than the book of Acts. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for Jesus, our resurrected saviour. Thank you for the agenda you've laid out. Thank you, Heavenly Father, you could even use us with all our weaknesses, all our fears, all our foibles. It's no mistake you've placed us at this time in this place. Father in heaven, thank you that Jesus died for our neighbours, our work colleagues, our schoolmates. Please help us to be your people and please empower us by the Holy Spirit that though we are afraid, we may be able to speak and you use whatever paltry effort we make and you bring people to yourself through it. And we pray confident in you Amen.